What do you think of when you hear the phrase spiritual leadership? What comes into your mind immediately when you hear that? And then what do you feel when you hear that phrase spiritual leadership? Now, I haven't actually heard from Pastor Keith, but I'm actually very curious to know what happens when you ask a bunch of guys what they feel about a phrase like spiritual leadership. Uh, Some of us as guys are pretty good at not thinking or feeling about that phrase very much at all. And so I'm, some of you are married to some of the men up there and I'm curious as to what their uh, discussion will go like when they come back home and you say to them, hey, how did you feel when you heard the phrase spiritual leadership? I don't know, you may wanna try that, you may not want to try that. Um, but what Pastor Keith and I wanted to do this weekend was to actually uh, put our discussions on a parallel track. So the discussion they're having up there with the guys and then the discussion we're gonna have here this morning at Jericho Ridge so that we could participate in the same discussion framework. So just to be fair, I'm gonna tell you right now that at the end of the teaching time, we're gonna just open it up for question and answer and Mike will come around with the mic and if something that we talk about this morning jumps into your mind that you think Uh, or feel something about the topic of spiritual leadership, then I'd invite you to ask a question and we'll dialogue together a little bit uh, about that. So I'm giving you fair warning and we'll see what your ideas, questions, thoughts, and perhaps even your feelings are on this topic uh, as we go through the morning together. So we're gonna be particularly, I should say, focusing the discussion of spiritual leadership uh, into a context of the home. So as we begin, um, many of us are preconditioned, I'm gonna suggest, to actually think and feel certain things about this subject or topic that we bring to the table as presuppositions in this conversation. One is actually probably just around the word leadership itself, because in our culture, we have notions of what leadership is and is not, and leadership is often associated with words like strategy and vision and decision-making and motivating others and influencing others. And these are very helpful concepts. But then when we actually put the phrase spiritual in front of the word leadership, we get a bit of a different word cluster or different word associations that can come to our minds when we think about this. So we think, okay, well, if it's spiritual, then it might have something to do with God. It might have something to do with uh, maybe even positional leadership in the church maybe somehow. Uh, Maybe you associate it with something being done uh, by men, either because you hold that as a conviction or because maybe you've seen spiritual leadership done by men and so in your experiences you associate those two terms together and for some that may have created challenges. Uh, But the notion that spiritual leadership at home in particular can become yet another area of challenge as we push into that this morning because sometimes when that phrase gets used, it feels like another thing to add to an already long list of responsibilities around home. I should be doing this, just like I should be cutting the lawn, but I'm not getting to that for whatever reason. But I have spiritual leadership. And then it gets further complicated if you and a spouse have differing ideas or definitions or understandings of what 
ought to be done and what you put in that category of spiritual leadership. Maybe you don't have a shared understanding of what that might look like. But if you can't define it, I would suggest to you then you can't actually know if you're succeeding at it or not. Which often leads to feelings of guilt around this topic, often leads to feeling like somehow we're failing at a core responsibility that perhaps we don't even know how to do or know what's expected of us in this area. And so my hope today in our discussion is that maybe we can clear up some of the confusion about what spiritual leadership is and maybe is not, and who is responsible for doing whatever it is and what that looks like. But we need to actually work at a definition first because then we can actually understand if we share that definition or not. And the definition that we work at shouldn't be driven by culture, shouldn't be driven by our own experiences, but should be driven by the scriptures and our commitment to living in obedience to God and in mutual submission to those around us. And so we're gonna talk a little bit more about what some of those things can look like uh, as we push into the topic this morning. So this spring, we have been talking in our series of unintentional, uh, we've been having a conversations, a series of conversations about areas in our lives that we tend to experience drift in for whatever reason or ambiguity. And our hope is that by putting a whole cluster of conversation on the table this spring, that we've been able to take a look at our lives and grow in our desire to become more intentional about different areas uh, in our lives that sometimes we wrestle with. And so we're wrapping this series up this weekend, and next weekend we'll have one of our supported workers uh, coming and sharing their story and their experiences with us. I'm really excited. We have uh, Jung Hoon and Pearl back from ministry in Asia, and they've been gone since we, we commissioned them when we were in the cafeteria at RE Mountain Secondary School. So they've been gone for a long time uh, doing Bible uh, translation and literacy work in Asia. And so they're going to be back with us for a whole series of weeks, but they'll start, uh, they arrive next Saturday and right away next Sunday, they'll be sharing with us some of the things that they've been doing. So that'll be an exciting morning. want to have you here. And then in two weeks, we're gonna have a conversation that we call communitas. We haven't done this for a couple of years, so it might be new to you, but the concept of communitas is an open mic where there's no program, we just create space for you to hear from each other about the things that you're learning and growing in. And so I want you to be getting ready for that. So I'm putting you on notice that two weeks from now, we want to uh, have you share about the things that you are learning in this particular conversation. So the series topics, we'll just put them up there. These topics that we've covered in this series, uh, thinking about friendships or how, is it, how are you doing in caring for your soul, listening to God, thinking about time, scripture intake, and uh, experiencing and growing in a heart of compassion for those who are poor, what are things that you've been wrestling with? What are unanswered questions that you have? What are things that you've actually been putting into place in your life that you've actually experienced some growth in this? And we wanna celebrate that with you. So two weeks from this morning, we'll just toss it open for an open mic time and we want you to talk about what you, what's God doing in your world these days and how are you learning and growing in that and what steps have you been taking? So as we wrap up this series today, we are... Uh, diving into an area that's notoriously difficult, I think, to be intentional about. And part of it is just because that, that definition is so ambiguous for us. What does it mean to, uh, what is spiritual leadership in the home anyways? And I want to be clear that we're talking again about what goes on in 
the home environment. We're not talking about servant leadership and spiritual leadership in your workplace. We're not talking about leadership in the church as provided by our elders or pastors or anything like that. We're focused on the question of what does spiritual leadership look like in the context of a family unit and in your personal life as well. If you're married, what does spiritual leadership look like in your marriage relationship? Who does it? What are they doing? How are they doing it? To whom are they doing it? These are complicated questions because it touches on a whole range of issues, uh, in particular in the New Testament, that are both biblical, but also they're experiential and they're personal for us. So let's dive in. Let's look at some of the biblical text that give us some guidance as to things uh, that would be happening in the home that would be spiritual in nature. So one is in Ephesians chapter five, verses 21 to 33. And in that text, Paul is talking about a lot of different things, but most primarily he's talking about what does it look like to actually live together as husbands and wives with love and with respect and in mutual submission to one another. In Ephesians chapter six then, he goes on to talk about is there a role then to play in spiritual instruction and development uh, in the lives of children, if children are present in the home? In Proverbs uh, chapter two, though, we would say this isn't an exclusively male role because in Proverbs chapter two, the scriptures say, don't forget the instruction of your mother. And so there's a role for both to play in spiritual instructions. In 1 Peter chapter three, the New Testament talks about in a marriage relationship in particular in the home, that there's to be honor, there's to be understanding, and we're to draw actually true beauty and wisdom out of one another in that relationship. In 1 Corinthians chapter seven, the Bible again talks about mutuality and respect, particularly as it relates to sexual intimacy. And there's a whole bunch of other texts in Titus, there's in 1 Timothy chapter two, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 35, and lots more. And the challenge is this, that these texts present us with a cluster of words that we're not very accustomed to dealing with in our everyday interactions. Words like headship, I don't remember the last time that came up in casual conversation. Words like authority, words like submission. And so we have to wrestle with what do these words mean. And in our uh, 2009, in our discussion on women in ministry leadership, when we were talking about the church context, we wrestled with a lot of these and defined them. And so I'd encourage you, we, we don't have the ability to go into all of these texts this morning. You're welcome to ask a question about any one of them in particular in our Q&A time this afternoon or right after this time. Uh, but we wrestled with and defined some of these words as it relates to the church. And we have to continue to wrestle with what does it mean to live those out in the home. But I encourage you to actually, if you haven't done so, go on our website and make sure you listen to and look at some of the resources that are up there about that discussion. And we taught through those texts and those elements. And we wanna ask this morning, what does spiritual leadership look like in the concept uh, and in the context of the home? Because some have interpreted these words to mean that it's something that is only done by men. And that the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader in the home. There's a popular song on the radio right now that uses that language. Uh, but one of the things that's interesting is this phrase, spiritual leadership. We haven't quite got to our definition of that yet. And before we get there, I want to actually challenge some assumptions 
as it relates to some of our language. So I want to suggest to you that we actually have blurred some important lines in discussion here that are unhelpful. Because one of the assumptions, one of the things that we've done is we've actually imported language into the New Testament that's not present in the New Testament at all on this topic. And that is the language of leadership. We've imposed leadership language and leadership structure onto a discussion that does not use that word and does not use that concept in any way in the New Testament. We've begun to use the term leadership as a way of describing what's happening in the spiritual climate in the home, and I think we've actually brought some baggage from our cultural understanding of the word uh, leadership here in North America at the start of the 21st century because leadership has to do things like setting agendas and executing things in efficient ways and exercising positional authority and making sure that other people get things done. And when it comes to what's happening in the home, the New Testament actually doesn't use that language as a picture and doesn't describe those types of things. So leadership or leading, if by that we mean exercising authority over, ruling, setting agendas, that's absent, I'm suggesting, from Paul's writing on marriage and on spiritual life in the home. The language of leadership should probably be taken out of this discussion. So spiritual leadership in the home is a bit of a problematic phrase because it just doesn't find resonance in the New Testament text. If we were to choose a word or a phrase that better captures the essence of biblical teaching about the ethos or what's going on in a Christian marriage in a Christian home that's seeking to follow Jesus, the word leadership is probably not a good choice for us. Uh, there are some other choices that might be better choices based on the description of what's happening. Uh, if we were to choose one, uh, Carolyn Custis James in her book, Half the Church, which we hosted a book study on this spring and we're gonna do again in the fall, uses a phrase that's probably a little bit better when it captures the summation of New Testament ethics on male-female relationships more robustly. And that's the word partnership as opposed to leadership. Leadership is about making sure that things get done. Partnership means working together to ensure that an agenda is set and the things get done. And in her book, she uses a phrase which I think is very helpful, and the phrase is blessed alliance. This is when we, when we understand that what we're doing in our home is we're working together if we're married or if we are a, a single um, parent, we are partnering with those around us in a blessed alliance to try and bless and encourage and develop things in our home and in the lives of those around us that we would see as true and right and as honorable. And so when it comes to describing the role of husbands and wives, the, Paul lists things and gives very specific instructions about what's happening. And so he says things like, okay, if there's gonna be responsibilities that need to be executed, husbands towards wives, he would say things like self-sacrifice is one that tops the list. Unswerving loyalty is embedded in those texts personal intimacy and sexual fidelity, but not the language of leadership. If you're searching through the New Testament and looking to link the words leadership 
and looking to link the words marriage and leadership together, I'm gonna suggest you'll get an error 404. This is what happens on your computer when you search for something and nothing is found. It's, a, it's an error message. The New Testament doesn't link those words together in the way that our culture links those words together. Paul lays out a case for mutual submission and a shared passion to help those around us grow to be more like Christ. But absent from the conversation is the notion that one person is leading that charge or that one person in the relationship holds some kind of tie-breaking authority that they only need to use if they can't agree on a particular issue. The terms lead, leader, leadership, servant leader, spiritual leadership are not associated with the discussion of marriage in the New Testament. Well, this may not be particularly helpful because we actually haven't got any further in defining our terms then of spiritual leadership. Uh, We haven't really answered our original question, what does spiritual leadership, if we still want to use the term and redeem the term, actually involve? Well, I think there there are a number of things that we could suggest that it involves. And I think that the first thing to note is that if we want to keep using the term, that's fine. Spiritual leadership is self-leadership. What I mean by this is that you cannot lead what you do not live. You cannot lead what you do not live. This is applicable for anyone, married or not, in this conversation. You cannot lead those around you, friends, family members, people that you're teaching in Kids at the Ridge, in other environments. You cannot lead others into a vibrant, vitalized relationship with Jesus if you yourself do not possess that. You cannot lead what you do not live. In the book of Joshua, chapter 24, at the end of his leadership career, this mighty man of God calls together the whole of the nation of Israel, men, women, children, everyone, and says to them what we sang earlier, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. But he starts that phrase with a very important little set of words, three words. Before he gets to as my house, he says, as for me. And then he goes on to, as my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You cannot lead anyone where you are not willing to go. And you cannot assume that if you're a parent, your children will have a vibrant prayer experience if you don't model that for them. You cannot assume that people that grow up in your home will assume and grow in a huge passion for the scriptures if they see dust collecting on your Bible all of the time. You cannot lead what you do not live. And if you're a parent and you have hopes and dreams for your children that they will come to possess a vitalized relationship with God. We've just had three Sundays in a row where we've had parents stand up and express that hope for their children in family dedications. And you cannot assume that they will get there if you as a parent do not assist and participate in that process. And it starts with working on your own spiritual development as an individual. It starts with me because you cannot lead what you do not live. But at Jericho Ridge, I want to be clear that we're not really interested in telling you what you should be doing without helping you to do it in meaningful ways. 
And so we wanna help you do what it is that some of you might have a desire to get some additional clarity about. So tomorrow night, if you wanna continue this conversation, that's why we're offering the seminar, Spiritual Development for Children. We wanna get together with parents and educators and other people that are interested in this topic and actually have a more robust conversation with practical tips and tools about how you can use to help your children grow spiritually, whatever stage they're at. And so that's why we're hosting that seminar tomorrow night. And uh, we only have a certain amount of seats in Spencer and Allie's living room. And so uh, we'd encourage you to sign up so that we know that you're coming and we can make sure we save a spot for you. But something we talk about here today, that might be something you want to pursue a little bit more uh, intentionally because we would love to help you grow in your understanding. What does it look like to actually understand the different stages of development that children will go through and how can you partner with them and with other people in that journey? whether you're a single parent or person who teaches at home or whatever that looks like, we'd encourage you to come on out. So the first takeaway, spiritual leadership, we want to keep using that term, is self-leadership. Starts with us, starts with me, starts with you. The second thing that flows out of this notion is that spiritual leadership, leadership does actually involve influence, and that's all right. We have to work with that because that's what you desire as a parent. We've had parents, again, stand up here and say, I want to lead or influence my children in their relationship with Christ. So leadership does involve influence. It starts with me, but it doesn't stop with me. It will flow out, hopefully, from my life into the lives of those around me. A vibrant spiritual life will naturally find ways to leak out into the lives of the people around you. This is described for us in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses six to nine. Moses is giving instructions here, again, both to men and women of Israel. Families are assembled, and he says, you must commit yourselves, first again the language personally, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as a reminder. That's what they did back in the day. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, influencing those around you happens just naturally in the rhythms of everyday life. It takes intentionality, though, to bring conversations about faith into those rhythms of life. And I don't know what your experience was growing up. Uh, In my experience in my home growing up, my parents were brand new at faith and they weren't sure how this whole thing should be done. And someone told them about this notion called family devotions. And so they latched onto this concept as being what they were going to do in terms of influencing their children. And so uh, the way that they worked it out was that because we were going to all be together at the dinner table, they would do it just before dinner, and we would not eat until we had done family devotions. Now, As a young person growing up, I experienced this as somewhat of a hostage-taking experience. I wanted to eat. I was not interested at that point in time about robust discussions, about deep spiritual concepts. I was just really, really hungry. And so we tried this for a while. It just felt so artificial and so stilted as a concept. It felt like this was a little artificial insertion into our day where we did Jesus stuff And then the rest of the day, we did other things that didn't quite relate to what we were talking about in terms of faith. 
But as stilted and as stiff as it felt sometimes, one of the things that I did observe in my parents' life is that as they began to grow in their own faith with God, they began to talk about it more naturally with us as kids instead of using a book to kind of, it became the jumping off point, but the conversations became much more natural and much more normal. We would talk about it after we had been in a gathering on a Sunday morning and as we were driving home because our church was out in the country and just then we'd talk about natural. Well, what did you talk about today? What did you talk about today? What did you learn today? What are you taking home? And so the conversation just became a little bit more natural and normal. And that's what Deuteronomy 6 is encouraging ourselves, is talk about these things. Just when you're driving, when you're out for a walk, when you're at the grocery store, like things, just when things come up, talk about them and involve them in the natural and normal rhythms of life. And so what I perceived to be happening in my parents' life is that as they continued to grow, it was like a bucket that was filled with holes. Their spiritual life began to kind of leak out of uh, them into us as kids. And we began to pick up things that they were learning about. And we began to grow. And so talking to your kids about God is not just the domain of men or women, it's a blessed alliance that happens in the fabric of day-to-day life. And where we all work to see those things around us and those people around us influenced by our lives as we begin to leak the things that God is putting into and building into our hearts. So here's another final thing then thought about spiritual leadership. Involves self-leadership, involves just natural processes of influencing those around you, Uh, as what is resident and growing in your life involves leaking into the lives of others, but it also has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. You have to actually create activities and practices that will grow and that will lead to growth. Some of these activities and practices are individual. Some of them are more family-oriented, so for example, one of the things that the Cottrell family decided and that the Frayne family decided here at Jericho a little while ago is we want to grow our children's hearts for those in different parts of the world. And so as a whole family, they set about the activity of going and serving in Guatemala as a family. And so they had a goal that they wanted to accomplish and then they tried to figure out what was the activity that would actually support that goal. And some of those activities involve adding other voices into the mix, not just your own voice if you are a parent. And that's one of the things that I love about a community. I love the fact that other people here speak into my son and my daughter's life about God. It adds another voice into things that I might tell them. And when they hear it in a different way, because it's a different set of relationships, It's another, it's a teacher, it's a peer, it's a friend, other people talking about the same things that maybe we're talking about. And that's what I love about youth and about kids at the Ridge here at Jericho Ridge. It's a little bit like a symphony. Each instrument is kind of playing its part so that there's a strengthening partnership between what I'm saying to my children and what others are speaking into their lives. But you need to hear this. You've heard it from us often. You hear it from Ruth Ellen all the time. You hear it from Mike all the time when they talk about what their understanding of what they're doing and what we understand us to be doing here at Jericho Ridge, as a faith community, we can only help and support you as parents. 
we cannot replace your role, and we cannot, and in fact, I would say it stronger, we will not do your job for you. In terms of spiritual development, in terms of spiritual leadership at home, we can only work together. And when these things are driven by clearly understood goals and shared outcomes, then we can work together really, really effectively. If you want the same things that in terms of spiritual development that are being expressed and are being taught in the life of a faith community, then that's gonna be like a symphony again. We can only do our job in assisting the spiritual development of your children when we're all playing off the same sheet music in terms of our understanding. See, if at the, at the level at Jericho Ridge, one of our core values is generous living. So if we're pushing hard to develop kids and teens and adults in becoming more generous with their resources and their time and the way that they think, but yet at home they don't see that modeled, they're only going to get so far. We cannot do that job for you. We can only partner with you in that. Otherwise, one of the two of us is gonna be actively undermining the things that the other is doing, and we're gonna be working at cross-purposes to each other. But when we're working on the same goals, and when we're working on the same outcomes, the activities and the practices that happen, things like scripture intake, things like generous living, it becomes a partnership then between what's going on in your home and what's going on here at Jericho Ridge. And so maybe for you today, one of the things that you might want to consider is, would I be able to clearly articulate the goals and the outcomes that I want and desire for my own life and then for my family and for my children? If you can't articulate a set of spiritual goals or outcomes, then we may not be able to partner effectively with you in that. But if we understand what it is that each part plays in this, we can both support and encourage and amplify what's going on in each of those environments. And then the activities and the practices and the goals and the outcomes can work together in a blessed alliance again between what's happening here and what's happening in the environments that you are creating. So that may be something uh, that you wanna take home. So we've got self-leadership, We've got uh, understanding then how uh, some of the things that God is teaching you are leaking out of your life and into the lives around you. And then we've got this notion of partnership and activities and practices that are happening uh, both at home and here at Jericho Ridge. So I wanna allow something for quite, that we haven't done in quite some time and uh, that is open it up for discussions and questions about this topic. What thoughts has this prompted in you? What maybe things have you seen practiced, either something in your home growing up that you thought, I experienced this as really healthy. Maybe things you've seen or experienced or practiced that you've said, you know, I'm not quite sure how this is working itself out um, for us. Maybe there's particular texts that you wanna look at and say, I just, I wrestle with this one. I'm not sure what to do about that. What thoughts has this prompted in you? Uh, the first thought that it may have prompted in you is a grammar check because Pastor Keith was prompted to text me a grammar check when he looked at the info sheet online and he said it should be whose, W-H-O-S-E, not whose as I had put into the info sheet, W-H-O apostrophe S. So that was his question. It's answered for you already. Whose is the proper grammar in terms of what should be on the front of the info sheet? 
Maybe you have a deeper question than that that you'd like to pursue. If you do, stick your hand up. Mike will come around with the mic and we'll engage ourselves in a little bit of uh, about 10 minutes for discussion here. All right, over in the back. Hi. Hi. Okay. Yeah. I have to talk lower. <laughs> okay. Um, uh. I was just a little bit confused when you talked about like the blessed alliance and how there's a partnership, but then the Bible um, does talk about wives submitting to their husbands. Right. So that's Ephesians chapter five, right, is where that language of, of submission would be reflected in, and there'd be a few other texts uh, where that would come up in. And one of the interesting things about the discussion is when you look at verse 21 there, it actually starts in verse 20. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, then it actually goes right into the discussion. And the word submission is actually not in verse 21. It comes to us in the English text because they have to actually put a verb in there. But it's re it reads as give thanks to God, everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, wives to husbands out of reverence for Christ. And so it's actually more about the giving of thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ than it is about an order or a structure uh, in the home. And then when he goes on, he talks about, uses as an example of saying, this is uh, about what Christ and the church is a partnership, in a partnership. Like, and so he says, Christ is the head of the church. Now, what did Christ do for the church? At the end of that, he says, Christ actually gave himself for the church. Christ actually lowered himself into a position of service and submission, mutual submission, to, to actually catalyze on his death on the cross and initiate the community of faith in the church. And so the language there would be reflective probably better as mutual or mutuality of submission as opposed to a kind of positional uh, understanding of submission. It's an active working itself out of the posture that we take towards each other in our relationships as opposed to a structural where, okay, I'm in charge, therefore you need to submit to me. Does that make sense a little bit? Okay. There's probably a lot more we could say about that. And there's a lot of other texts that get into pieces of that. But yeah, it, Because I'll just keep one thought on there too, is that otherwise what we get into is, and this is the thing that I'm gonna pick on this song. I don't know if you've heard it on the radio. Um, this song about uh, lead me with strong hands, you know. Uh, so that song is suggesting that, that, is, that spiritual leadership in the home would be exclusively a male-driven responsibility, which they would take out of uh, this language of kind of submission. I think it does a few things. One, it actually makes uh, women sound, I, I actually find it an experience that now, granted this is a guy, as very demeaning to women. That somehow women are this weak, helpless, kind of frail person that just doesn't know anything spiritually and if only my husband would teach me. Because doesn't 1 Corinthians 14 say women should learn in submission at home? Uh, and that verse actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is not about, again, 
the uh, structural reality. It's about the fact that in their church gatherings, what was happening was that women were being so assertively divisive and actually publicly standing up and saying during the teaching, that's absolutely inappropriate, that's wrong, I don't think that at any way, and then they would stomp out, and Paul had to actually give them structural, because remember 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about things like tongues and about inappropriate expressions of corporate worship, and he says that's just not appropriate for people, anybody, to stand up and be saying that. If you have a question, ask someone at home. Don't sort of blurt it out in the middle of that public gathering. And so I think that song has kind of latched onto this phraseology of spiritual leadership and made it into a male-driven responsibility in the home, and when we think about, you know, for example, the book of Proverbs, again, chapter two, Proverbs talks a lot about mother's instruction spiritually in the lives of their children. And so if we just say, well, it's a male ex- responsibility, then that kind of, it pushes to the side a whole cluster of other texts that actually speak about it as both of us, husbands and wives working together in a partnership in order to actually see spiritual development happen both in each other's lives and then in the lives of our families as well. Let's pick on that song. But next time you hear it, you'll be like, oh, that's the song. Oh, right. (laughs) Other questions, thoughts, reflections? Maybe it's about practices that you've seen or experienced. Yeah, Margaret. I I think the biggest witness is calmness in the storm, as we mm. sang earlier, and I think um, a showing of complete trust mm. uh, no matter what, and I think that's, that's more visible and constructive than any words can tell. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The first part there where it was quiet was Margaret was talking about a, a sense of calm in the storm and support and sharing in terms of the way in which you witness to both those around you in your family, but also the world as well, who watches that and sees how do you respond in your relationships when trials come. Yeah, it's good. I don't mind running to the other side of the room, so (laughs) need some exercise. Okay, Juliet. In flip-flops, no less. Um, One thing I observed growing up in my family was just um, this often happened for me with my dad just being really sensitive to the Holy Spirit and just responsive to um, what he kind of felt prompted to. And so that's something that we try and do too is just like when you feel something to talk about like with our kids, um, just to do it in the moment. It's not always like a, a formula. It's like a spontaneous in the moment kind of reflection of your life like you know, we're driving past somewhere, we're hoping the boys can go to preschool, and it's full, and so we talk with Ethan about, we can't get in there right now, should we ask Jesus if, if that could work? And then we pray in the moment, you know, that kind of thing. So um, for us, that's kind of what I've seen growing up and how we try and, like, include it in our life. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great idea. great idea. It's interesting to think about, oftentimes the domain of our own spiritual lives is a private thing. We think about, well, I'm gonna read my Bible, so I'm gonna do it over here, and I'm gonna do it in convenient time slots so before the kids get up, which makes great sense. But then if you think about that and play that out over the course of your life, your kids actually never see you open the Bible. 
It's not that the Bible isn't important to you. It's just that somehow you arranged your life in such that it was such a private experience that it was never shared with them in any way. And so that's a great idea of just thinking about how would you go about sharing just active things that are on your mind and on your heart, just responding in obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I just laughed at what you said about your kids never see you reading your Bible because we always, you know, got up early or woke up late and managed to catch mom reading the Bible anyways. Right. (laughs) We knew she was at her most cranky when we got out of bed too early or too late and it disrupted her Bible reading. Uh, Too funny. Too funny. Which is another part of that memory. I'm reading the Bible and yet I'm very upset with you. (laughs) Uh, Too funny. Yeah, let her know. She said, let, it let the kids know there was something in her life that was more important than us. Yeah. It's a good bedrock. Yeah. From, from my own experience, uh, you were talking about uh, the Frains and, uh, and the Cottrells and Zacharias is going to uh, Guatemala. And uh, uh, one thing that really struck me when I was a teenager is my, my mom and I grew up with faith together. So we grew, we became Christians together, and it was a, a, a great experience to grow and to see authenticity in that relationship. Um, but we would go down and we would serve sandwiches for the homeless, and it was cool to do that together, to do ministry together as a family. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to definitely emulate that in, in my relationship with Raylin and baby number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's a neat thing. You'll notice a lot of times at Jericho here, you'll see families serving together, either uh, as a part of the Frontlines team and welcoming or serving or doing ushering. And we do not do that just because kids are cute. We do that actually intentionally to say, where do you learn to serve? Where do you learn that actually rhythm of life that involves not just thinking about what's going on in your own world, but thinking about an outward focus in serving others. One of the places you can learn it is in a context like this or in a context of service. Uh, And so we continuously push into that and provide opportunities that reflect that for families. Yeah, I've loved talking to like parents who are older so their kids are out of the house about ideas. Um, A lot of us don't, we don't, there's not a lot of older here. So if we were gonna listen to another voice, have another voice, do you have like a book or a books or a podcast or like who would you recommend that, that speaks very well of this topic? Um, one, one person I think that does a great job of this is an author by the name of Tim Kimmel. Uh, he talks about uh, parenting strategies and one of the things that he's written about in his most recent book is about this notion of what ought I to be responsible for at home I think his book is called Church and Home or Church at Home or something like that. I can't remember the exact title of it. Uh, but he talks a lot about you know, the owning that sense of responsibility. And so that would be one that, that I would highly recommend. Um, that you, and his uh, ministry is called Family Matters, I think, or Grace-Based Parenting. I can't remember the name of it now. But Tim Kimmel, K-I-M-M-E-L, uh, is a great resource. All of his books are excellent. Highly recommend them. Oh, Mike's got to figure out which way he wants to go. <laughs> Speaking of older. There you go. Uh. Uh, I was raised in um, the United Church uh, growing up. And my parents, although my mother was a strong Christian, my father was too, but in a very different way. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, uh, 
how do I say it? Huh? I was the youngest, unexpected, and it was, growing up, it was a very um, back and forth uh, feeling of, you gotta do this, uh, oh, you're the youngest. You, <laughs> uh, it was difficult, challenging, challenging, very challenging. Um, this, uh, this passage of submission, um, I've got the, the voice and I was not sure whether I liked it, but this, this gives it a, a real different um, mm, yeah, go ahead and read flavor. It. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And the Spirit makes it possible to submit humbly uh, to one another out mm -hmm. of respect of the anointed. Wives, it should be no different. Um, it should be no different with your husbands. So it's, it's putting a, a, a mutual responsibility on them both yeah. interacting. Um, yeah. I found it very enlightening. Mm -hmm. That's good. The other thing, actually, you said something interesting there about this notion of responsibility or burden. And I think one of the interesting things to uh, explore is if you feel like developing and nurturing your own spiritual life is burdensome or is an obligatory or kind of fine, you know, I'll do that, then there is your, your children will actually pick up on that as part, and they will experience this notion of spirituality and a relationship with God as just another thing to check off of the list of things to do as opposed to seeing you embracing it as an integrated part of who you are and what you do. It becomes a little segment or an unfortunate obligation that you need to get out of the way before you can go on with the rest of the fun things that you need to do. And so it's an interesting challenge for us to figure out how do we actually think about and live out our own walks with God so that those around us experience it in different ways. Nigel. I just want to say that um, for myself growing up, the, the best time that my, my parents, my mother taught me um, Christ's love wasn't through clubhouse or the DC talk cassettes I had or like church seminars or anything of that sort. I remember the time that she never actually intended to try for me was when she actually just did the most selfless, loveless act like, like I ever saw. We, we were down, she got my dad to drive downtown because she had seen a, <clears throat> a girl, um, like a homeless girl. And we, 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 it, was, it was a pouring a dark night and we drove around just trying to find her. When she found her, she got out. Like, it, we almost couldn't, couldn't find her. She prayed, and we, we, we found her at the last minute. She got out. She saw the lady. She had just bought a really brand new, really nice, expensive jacket. She took it off. She gave it to that girl. She hugged that girl, had some words with her, with her went back in the car, and we left. And I found that, yeah, without trying, like, mm -hmm. she actually acted. And that was the biggest lesson for me uh, till yeah. this day. Um, yeah, so it's, it's just, I don't know, just a actually doing uh, a senseless act of love was way bigger than, uh, again, any other Christianese resources that we typically try to do for our kids, I think. Yeah, totally, totally. Good thinking. Well, it is after 12 o'clock, so I think we will wrap up on, on that thought. Uh, welcome you to stay afterwards, and we can continue uh, in our discussion and conversation 
around these things and thank everybody who shared ideas and contributions in that. And uh, let me pray for you as we get ready to go. And if you didn't get a chance to share, but you've got something that's kind of percolating, then remember, we're gonna continue this in two weeks again, and we'll hear from people's stories and experiences as they've continued to wrestle with things. So God, we pray uh, now that as we go from this place, uh, that we would indeed be filled with your spirit, that we would walk as children of our heavenly Father, And that as we go throughout our day, as we find ourselves in our homes and relationships with other people, our family and those around us, that we would carry ourselves in such a way that we would be good ambassadors and that we would be a spiritual influence in the lives of others. So God, give us courage and wisdom. Uh, Give us ears to hear the prompting of your Holy Spirit to do radical things, uh, to do daily things, to do intentional things. And we pray, God, that as uh, we grow in this, that you would add an increase to that because it's your heart and your desire that those around us would come to full maturity. And so we pray that you would indeed uh, activate in our own lives and in their lives the things that you desire. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So go in God's grace, in his peace, in his wisdom. Uh, to continue to live out these things and continue to grow in your walk with others and have an influence on them.